Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week we're going to be speaking about war in Russia, war in Ukraine, Alpi Halacha, Alpi Ashkafa, history, and with people on the ground. We're going to have Hagoyin Harav Perishal Shechta. He's going to be speaking about our Chiyuv and Hulchus Tzedakah. We'll have a Goyen Reb David Kohn, same thing. Does it have a Kedima to your other tzedakahs? Purim is coming. Is it Ukraine first? Or is it the Ania Yircha? We'll have a little cameo from Rebellion Weichsfeigl, where he says he has a Kabbalah from his father, all the way back to the Goyen, that it means Mashiach is coming. My father used to say, oh, he's in Kelamat and Makabalgavet. I heard it since I'm a little kid. Then the Russians say, Shifnal, Durgein, Dadad, Lenel, from Tarkai, Dabnantam, Dibishat. Yesterday, they went to the it's an interesting debate. On one hand, on the other hand, there's a story with Rabbi Yankif in Toronto, which I confirmed with his Anikoch, that somebody came to Toronto and he said, Mashiach is coming, and there was a Balabas, who was a Mechal Shabbos. He said, I'm closing my store. Mashiach is coming, I'm closing my store. And Rabbi Yankif told him, no, keep your store open. So somebody asked Rabbi Yankif, why'd you tell him that? So Rabbi Yankif said, he believes in one thing, in Mashiach. You want to take that away from him too? So we have this ongoing debate. Like, when do we say... We have a semen, Kabbalah. On the other hand, when do we say, wait, you know, we're not Machash Vekitzim, and we don't want to send the wrong record. Very interesting debate. We're going to have Professor Jeffrey Wordlinger from uh, University of Michigan. He's the number one Jewish expert on the history of the Ukraine. He's going to be talking about historically, you know, Ukraine is where most of Hasidus comes from Ukraine. The Magid, the, the Balshem came from Ukraine. The Magid, Mezrich, Chernobyl, Mezhibuz, Bardichev, Zhitomir, Lvov, Lemberg, Belz, Koritz, Uman, all of this is the Ukraine. We're going to have three Chabad Shluchim on the ground, sitting, we'll have them in the trenches. They have 180 Chabad communities in the Ukraine where they have Shluchim. We're going to hear what's going on, how dangerous it is from people, Chabad Shluchim in the bunker. And then ultimately we'll have Repinchas Winston. He's somebody who always talks about the Simonim of Mashiach. Is this a Simon of Machakia Kate at the end of the program? Should be an interesting program. This week, Shaiki Press under Menachem Butler put out the three headlines books, one, two, and three, which I believe all three are right now pretty much out of print. He came to us and he got them on Amazon. He had them published, self-published on Amazon for $11.99 each. That means for $35, basically the cost of one art scroll Gemara, you could buy all three headlines. And so if you want to give a bar mitzvah boy or a chassan or yourself, I mean, I, I'm looking through the topics. They're really fabulous and so relevant today, even though they were written over the last, I guess, six years or so. Rescuing those who put themselves in danger, relevant to what's going on in the Ukraine. The whole issue with, you know, Black Lives Matter, George Zimmerman, reporting child molesters. Yichud with a therapist, which just happened with Welder and Eretz Yisrael. Burial in Eretz Yisrael, racism, slavery, Pittsburgh massacre, owning pets, abusive parents. I'm looking at these topics. Like they're so relevant. DNA in halacha, the disgraced rabbi fathering a child after death. It opens up all the current events and it looks at them through the mesechtas of Shas, through the prism of halacha. Eleven ninety nine each. I looked online. He sent me uh, out of the top ten svarim. Uh, two of them are the uh, are the headlines of the top ten bestsellers on Amazon. Hebrew svarim. I thought that was very good. So I urge you all. This is with absolute prejudice to go to Amazon and order some of these uh, as a gift. 
So last week I went there to Israel to visit my daughter. Hadn't been there in two years because of COVID and my grandchildren. I ate them, I chashved them. And I was invited to say a shir near the mirror, one of the Mirabatim Midrashim, from two people, the headlines. A few guys from headlines heard I was there as well as from the Mishnah Reina. And I said a, a shir on do you sacrifice the few to save the many, which has many, you know, different areas in halacha. And it was very well attended. There were, I don't know, 150 guys there. That's a lot of people. And at the end, there was some Yushalmi protest. You know, they must have heard I was there and they know that I'm, a, I guess I'm a considered a Zionist. And afterwards, one of them came over to me. So I said to him, I said, I want to ask you a question. Ukraine, there's going to be 75,000 refugees from the Ukraine coming to Eretz Yisrael. Who else is accepting them? Do you see the United States accepting Ukrainian Jews? I said, I can understand that pre-World War II, there was a Havamina, which there were, that, you know, Zionism is dangerous. Post-Holocaust, who could say that we don't need someplace to leave Hartsia and Tia And how could you be protesting at a time when Eretz Yisrael said they're going to accept 75,000 Ukrainian immigrants? And when they come to me for tzedakah, like from the Rabbah, etc., I just say, I said, if you're opposed to the existence of Eretz Yisrael, aren't you a roidif of all those who are looking for some place to go? I said, how could I possibly give you one dollar when you're opposed to the, the only place that'll open up their arms to accept Jews? And at a moment like this, don't we see it clearer than ever? So, before we go to our program, I do want to say a thought. It's a simple thought, and I'm sure you've all heard of it. The famous Bayless trial happened in the Ukraine. It was a blood libel backed by the Ukrainian Russian government. It was the, it was the Tsar, wasn't there? was no special separate was part of Russia against the Jews. Remember, we just named all the cities that the Yidin lived in. It was the biggest, the pale of settlement, the biggest Yishuv in the world of Yidin was in this part of Russia, in the Ukraine. And Mendel Bayless was accused of killing a, a, a 13-year-old Ukrainian child for, to blood in the Matzis. So they had a very anti-Semitic priest. And one of the things he said is, Atem Kriyam Adam, you, you're, the, you, you're the only ones. Shremei Shapiro famously responded with the Eulis Ephraim that there are four words for Adam in, the, in, the, in Tanakh. There's Adam, there's Ish, there's Enosh. And there's Gever. And all of them we know have multiple. There's Ishim, Gvarim, Anashim. Adam doesn't. He says, why is Adam unique? It's only singular. He says, Atem Kruyim Adam. When a Yid someplace in the world is in Saris, all the Yidin in the world are. When they blame a Jew, they blame all the Jews of the world. And when one Jew is in pain on the other side, all the Jews in the world are in pain too. Atem Kruyim Adam. You are one Chaticha of Adam. That's what he said. And let me shtel to this. There's, a, there's something really positive though about that. They see them say over that when the, the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe, came back from the Magid, they asked him to say over, what did you learn in Mizrich? So he said, I learned in Mizrich, Ipshat, kol Yisrael arevim zebezeh. We know the on Halacha, if you made Kiddush, you could be say over again Kiddush for somebody else, because since you're responsible that the other person should say Kiddush, you become a mechuyiv bedaver again, and you could make the bracha b'shem amalchas. So he said, kol Yisrael arevim, what's an arv? An arv is a guarantor. All Yisrael and Elam are, are guarantors, one for the other. I am responsible to see, that's the concept of a chiech techiech. It's my job to see that you're taken care of, a guarantor. Kitty Genovese, the concept of I could be a blind bystander while somebody else suffers, that's not a Yiddish concept. Kol Yisrael Arevim, that's the first shot. 
Then he said, and then he said, but the Magid was Maisef. The word Arev also means sweet. So call Yisrael Arevim, Yisraelim, a sweet one to the other. What does that mean? We love each other. If there's something we can do for another one of each other, we do. I remember years ago, I went to Costa Rica on a vacation. So I, davened in, I, was, I went with my wife on vacation. I remember going to Shul in the morning. And by Korea, so somebody comes over to me. He says, oh, I see you're new in town. I said, yeah. He said, I came I'm, I'm on vacation. So he says, maybe you want to meet the head banker. He's over there by, uh, he's standing next to the beam over there. He said, that guy, he owns the shopping centers in Costa Rica. He said, the guy over there, he has a big restaurant. Like over Shul, I could have like networked all of Costa Rica. Call Yisrael Arevim. We love each other. And that's the concept of a Haftalarecha Kamoicha. And what's the third? Call Yisrael Arevim Zabazah. Arev also means Miloshin His Arvas, like, you know, Taruvais. We're all intermingled. We're all one Chativa. We're, what? We're one. We're like, you know, like a corporation when you own shares, you basically are a partner in the entire thing. We're all intermingled. We're one family. We support each other. And there's something beautiful about this. I said this story a year or two ago. This fellow, an architect, went to see the great sequoia forests in California. Something amazing. 300, 400 feet, 30, 40 story tall buildings. Some of them are well over 3,000 years. The oldest, maybe known trees in the world, three or 4,000 years old. They go back to after the marble. Some of these trees could have seen the Aves if they were in California. So this architect is standing there and he says, three or four thousand years. He asks the ranger, you must have hurricanes that come through here over three or four thousand years? He said, absolutely. And windstorms. So he says, to be that tall, yes, this long, the root system must go down hundreds and hundreds of feet. Like a, when you build an office building, you know, the taller it is, the deeper the uh, foundation has to go. So the ranger says, no, absolutely something fascinating. The, the roots only go down six or seven feet. The architect says, listen, I'm an architect. There's no way these things could stand for a few thousand years if the roots are six feet deep. She says, no, no, it's true. But I'll tell you something. Redwoods grow in strands. Sequoias grow in strands. In other words, they grow in groups of trees, like oh, 50, 100, 200. And they send out their roots horizontally, six feet down, but like a, a steel mat, hundreds of feet in each direction. And they lock into the roots of other sequoias. So when a storm comes and the wind blows, mighty winds come, 100 miles an hour, 50, over 4,000 years, there's going to be winds that's wrong. They, because they lock roots with each other, they lock arms, they're able to withstand the greatest storms imaginable and grew be three or four hundred feet tall and thousands of years old. And that's the shot. Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazah. So when we send money to the Ukraine, we're not sacrificing. We're sending our roots out. And their roots connect back to us. And you know how mighty we become? That's why Kal Yisrael, the Molnirdoth of all the Umais, but yet the, the oldest and most productive and youngest of all. Hinari Yisrael Vayahavai, we're the oldest. Every new, every new technology, every Chiddush in the world, who's there? A Jew. The two new vaccinations that happened this year, who is it? Brula and the fellow, both, both Jews from both companies. We're responsible for each other and we're one. We interlock our roots like the great sequoias. So when we talk about Ukraine, we're talking about sending roots out. We're talking about we are one. By Shalach Manis, a lot of people 
repackage Shalach Banas and send it on to the next person. Some people get insulted, you know. I think it's beautiful. I send Shalach Banas to you. You send it, to, you repackage a piece of it to somebody else. My Shalach Banas can end up all the way around the other side of the world. Kol Yisrael HaRevim Zebazah. My Shalach Banas could reach India, could reach Eretz Yisrael, could reach Arkansas, who knows. Kol Yisrael HaRevim Zebazah. Something so fortifying and strengthening about this, you know, we're going to hear about the tzedakah and the chiv of tzedakah and our obligations to these other communities. So we really have a wonderful program today. But before we go to it, let's go to our riddle of the week. Okay, so here's the first riddle. We notice the klal tadr v'sheine tadr tadr kaidem. So let's say when it comes to the Kriyas, you have the Kriya of Shabbos, then you have the Kriya, let's say, of Parsha Zohar. What comes first? The Kriya of Shabbos. But here's the problem. There's Shagasari Pnei Yeshua, and the Pnei Yeshua says that when you have a Doraisa that's not Tadir, and a Drabonon that's Tadir, the Doraisa always trumps. Different cases he discusses. So the question is, we all know Parsha Zohar is a Doraisa. Kriya satira of every Shabbos is a takana, takana from the Nevi'im, but it's not a daraisa. L'chaira, they should have the Kriya satira of Zohar should come before the Kriya satira of the week. That is our first riddle of the week. And here was our second hara. It's actually the, the Binyan Shloim, I was machavin to it. It's a beautiful hara. The Chinuch famously says that Nashim alav b'nei molchama. And since they're not B'nei Melchama, the potter from Parsha of Mechia Samalek, they don't have to hear Zachar Esashos Lachamalek. If you potter from Mochem Esamalek, you potter from Mechia Samalek. In Shleima, the Rambam says at the end of Shemitah and Yevel, right, every Yeshiva Bacha knows his, worth his salt knows this, Lamalei Zachar Levi Benachla Seretz Yisrael. Why? Neshehuvda Lavedes Hashem. Lafika Huvda Lumidarki Olam Loy Urchil Mulchama. Shevet Levi is not Urch Mulchama. They're Kaidish Kadashim. So Lachaira, he asks, if you, if Levi is Pata from Mulchama, they should be Pata from Parsha Zachar. Did you ever see a Kain or a Levi walk out by Parsha Zachar? And what are we going to ask even Vaita? That the Rambam famously adds on, Loi shevet lebi bilvad, elakol ish v'ish mikol bohi o'olam asher nod v'aruchai, etc. Anybody who's harez in eskadish kodesh kadashim, v'yashem chelkoi v'nachlosei l'olam l'olamim, v'yiskolei b'olam azed dover ha-maspik b'ay, k'moshu zachachanam l'avim. All the Talmudich ha-chamim who are, who are tairasam, umnasam, the kol yungalite, right, the nod v'aruchai, they become kodesh kadashim, like Levi. So you're going to say, all the yeshiva light now, according to this Sefer HaChinuch, should be pata from Mechias HaMolek. They should be able to miss the Kriya Satire of Mechias HaMolek. Why? Because the Ercha Mochama, just like Nashim and Ercha Mochama, they're not also Ercha Mochama. Ella, what are you going to say? You know, the guy is really is Ercha Mochama. He chose. Well, Nashim are. It's not like they're Mufka from Mochama. You see by Mochemes Rishus, a Mochemes Mitzvah, a Filukala Mechupasa. So an Isha is not totally Mufka, a Mochemes Mitzvah. She is Mochuyevin. But yet, since Ain Ercha Mochama, that alone is enough. Enough to say that they're part from the parashas Mechias Hamalik. So I say, according to the Rambam, Huv the Lumidark Yoelam Loy Erechin Mochama Kishar Yisrael Lachayra Kaihanim Leviim and Talmudich Hachamim Yungalite should be part from the parsha of Mechias Hamalik. This is the kasha of the Binyan Shloima, the great uh, Volnerov. That's the second riddle of the week. For those who want to hear a riddle on this parsha. I'll give you one. Vahi b'chaydish harishon b'shana ashenis b'chal chaydish hukam amishkan. So Chazal say Rashi in b'midbar zayin aleph kol shivas yemei amiluim moishu is mamida yomafarkei 
And the Chaydesh Arishain, Hukam Mishkan. But the Yemashmini had Midai Velai Perkai, so for seven days. So for seven days, he was my Midai Yemafarkai, the eighth day he was, and it seems that also Biyayim HaShabbos, he was Makim and Mefarik the Mishkan. Makim and Mefarish the Mishkan, Binyan, Oil, and we hold Ain Binyan based on Migdash, Doich HaShabbos. How were they during the Shevis Yemami Luam allowed to every single day be Makim the Mishkan when we know that Ain Binyan Min based on Migdash, Doich HaShabbos? And here you have the Malachas of Oil. Those are our riddles. We will announce the winners next week. And uh, we will pick one or two. We will. We still have some of the brand new Mishnah Achrayin Achelik Aleph Blineda. A few of the winners, the first few winners, we will send the Mishnah Achrayin Achelik Aleph. So good luck with your answers. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America our number is 732-806-8700. In England it's 44, that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael it's uh, 02-372-0304. And let's go now to our share. Here's a guy in Rebherschel Shechter. What does Rashiva say? What's... Tell us your hargasha about what's going on in uh, in Ukraine. My hargasha, it's a mochama. They have to run. All the, all the people should uh, should. There's a suffix sakana. Everyone should leave. What? You have to go even on Shabbos. You have to be on Shabbos. There's a suffix sakana. He's killing. He's targeting uh, civilians. Terrible. I mean, do people have the right to say, look, we're going to stick it out. Things will calm down. We'll calm this end. Is it a chiv to run or is it a heter to run? If people think they understand the matzav and they think that everything is going to quiet down, they have in the news that a, a lot of the men are sending their wives and their children mechutz lamedina, and they're staying behind because they want to fight for their country. Some of them are, are experts in computers. Somehow those who know computers can help in the war effort. Whoever feels that they can help in the war effort and be nitzal, okay, so you're not believed to run. But those who don't know one way or the other, they should all run. Does the Yid have the right to say, I feel that I want to stick up, I, I, I live in this country and I want to fight in this country, so even though I could be matzal myself, I'm willing to put myself in Sakana to fight in the army? Probably does have the right. Is a din of Muhammad. Any time you have a Muhammad, it's a suffix sakana for the for the our soldiers, and it's a suffix ritzicha that you're killing the other people. So the heter, there's a heter b'shas Muhammad. There's a heter. What are our chiyuvim of tzedakah towards the people of Ukraine? We have a chiyuv to help them out. Cost a fortune of money. They have to bribe all of the Ukrainian soldiers to let them go. Then they have to pay extra to the bus drivers, to the van drivers, because they're going to Sakana. They may get killed, costing them a fortune to save people. And then when they bring them, they're, they're not in their homes. They leave everything behind and not in their homes. So they have to find shelter for them. Then they have to have food and they have no clothing. They can't take clothing with them. They're running away. Does this, the fortune. does this tzedakah, if somebody already gave a chaymish, does he still have a chay of tzedakah? I think he do, sure. Even though it says, I'm a vazdez, I'll be vazdez, I'll be chaymish, I feel like I'm a mitzvah Right. It's like there is, that's the Ramos says that. Yeah. Right. Mishnah Buri question, he's not so convinced that that's right. But the tzedakah l'acherem, this is... Most of the tzedakah that I give is to support yeshiva. So the chidah quotes, uh, chidah on Yeridei, Hilchestakah quotes the shidim chubetzus on ksubas on that daf, on daf nun, on daf memtes, I don't know, something over there. That I'm a vazel yeshim chemish means only if you're giving tzedakah to anim, shemayoyani, you may become poor, but if you're giving for t'michas Torah, you're giving to support yeshivas, then there's no limitation of chemish. And over here also there's no, if it's a sofik fakonis, there's no limitation of chemish.
Famous, it's a big problem in Chlal. There's so many sick people all over the world, and a lot of them are dying because we don't have enough, we don't put up enough money. They can't afford uh, certain treatments, certain procedures. So we should all be mechayiv to give our last penny to save all their lives, even to extend their lives another month, another week. Yeah, but then we'll all go broke. We'll go broke, perhaps. Uh, but I think that's I mean on an ongoing basis. We don't we don't say like that. <laughs> All year long, there are cholim and and we can help them. If we'll empty out all of our bank accounts, we'll give every last penny. So we'll, we'll save more lives, we'll extend more people's lives. So that we don't say, we don't do that. Does this, but, uh, even though there's a din of loisam and aldamariecha, but we don't do it by, because if we do it, we would go broke. So it blibes together of like, my chazi the damach tzach say. People have to protect themselves too. Is that, is that the virtue she was saying? Yeah. You have to leave over some money. You can't work till the day that you die. You have to leave money for retirement. And, um, and uh, we're afraid that if you're going to empty out all of our pockets, everything. The whole, the whole, the whole society will collapse. But if it's once a Muhammad, not every day. Muhammad is once in a long while. We haven't had such a Muhammad. So they say since the Second World War, they didn't have such a thing. This is terrible. So if somebody it's Purim is coming and you want to give Aniyeircha Purim, does this have Kedima? have to give both. What do you mean, Kedima? Yes, yes. Somebody, somebody has a certain amount of tzedakah. He can give to his own. He has a certain amount set aside. Does he do it to Yircha or does he do it to the, the Yidin in Ukraine right now? I mean, he can be, I'd say, by giving to the Jews in Ukraine also. Yeah, doesn't have to dafka give to that. I mean, Aniyeircha Kedimim. Yeah, that's if everything is equal. It's Aniyeircha. They need Shabbashus. Aniyeircha, they have to save their lives. So then we say the one has to save his life uh, as Kedima. If they, they all need clothing or they all need food to put on the table. But if they need Shabbat they need something more important. And you don't say, the Pischi says, you don't say, in such a situation when the Tzorach of the, of the foreigners is greater than the Tzorach of the Yircha. Do we ever have a right to say, what are you, why did you stay in the Ukraine in the first place among all these, in this crazy situation? Like, why didn't you take this time to go someplace safe. Do we ever have that option of saying that? Tysus and Balakam in the first parak says that there's no Chiv stock if it's his own stupid fault that he became poor. By Yamid Nissan, Yamid Tishrei, the real estate is worth more or less. And he tells everybody that he that he's broke and he has to sell it because he's silly, he's stupid. Because he lets it be known that he's broke. That's why they're not going to give him the full value for his property. So Tysus learns in Yamara there, whenever it's his stupid fault, then you're not Mokhiv to give him stock. Yeah, but over here, they write in the papers over here, even though during the Second World War, the Ukrainians were the worst ones, they, they killed the Jews with a bigger zam than, than the Nazis. But they say that now, the last 50 years, Ukraine has, has had no open anti-Semitism. The prime minister used to be Jewish until the election, and now the president is Jewish. And, uh, and and 75% of the population voted in this president. They say the rest of Europe, even Western Europe and Eastern Europe, the rest of Europe, the open anti-Semitism in Ukraine is much less. They say hardly any. So they thought it's peaceful. They thought it's peaceful. What does Rashiva think of the people who are saying that? Because Rashiva said that there's a Kabbalah from the Goyen that when the Russians cross into Ukraine, it's Yomai Samashiach here, they're putting on Big Day Shabbos. What do, we, what do you think of these Kabbalahs or these anticipatory you, you know, views of Mashiach coming because of, of the Mohammed? I've never heard of that. That they, call, they, they say the name of the Gro, that when the Russians enter Ukraine, yeah? I never heard of that. Don't know.
Well, we shouldn't be in a hashvikitzim. We should hope Mashiach comes before. <laughs> Why should we have to wait till Rosh goes in? We hope achakla b'chol yom sheyavai. The Gemara says when you, the Medrash says when you see uh, Medinas who are fighting with each other, we should be in mitzapah for Mashiach because Muhammad's are going to lead to to Mashiach. Yeah, we hope for Gula. We should daven for Gula. Grace yeshikayach to Rosh Hashiva. Thank you so much. Very good. Everyone should be healthy. Amen. Be well. Be well. Here's a grain of David Cohn. Shalom Aleichem. A few questions for the Rav. People are asking the question. They want to know. They want to know, Shilas, do I, do I send my money? I could give it to the local shul. Does Ukraine have a Kadima? Like, wh- wh- how do we, in Hukas Tzedakah, how do we look at what, what's going on there now? Right, right now, the way I see it, it's a gather of Tikuach Nafesh. So do you have to give Kolma Maina? Is it a Chaimesh? Is it a Maisa? If it's, what no, is, no. What? You, don't, you don't give Kolma Maina the Chlau. You don't give Koma money to Chlau. I'll give Azmus unless you have a lot of money where there's no Chshash. That's the Rav Not a so letter from the Balatanya. But no, normally, I'll give Azmus Yosemichaymish, but it's together with Pikuach Nefesh. So, and even by Pikuach Nefesh, it's obliged it, it Al Azmus. Even Lechera Leisamay is a lav, and by a lav, you should have to do more than Chaymish. But even so, it's Chaymesh. I think so. It doesn't say you give the Koma Maina. And the, the, the Chayadam famously says, you're not believed to worry about Chutz Le'ircha. A Jew doesn't have to worry about what's going on in Yenna Ekvel. Is that Neskabel by Paiskim or no? I would start so. It says, L'gabi the din of Aniya Yircha, right? Well, better yet, L'gabi the din, that the night of Yehuda says by Pikuach Nefesh, he says it's only the same hospital, the same everything. Only then do you say that you're allowed to do Nitu Chaymeshim to save other people. But but only if it's uh, if that's the exact same machla, the exact same mokhaim. And you notice the machla is with the binyan seeing. But this man has even if we go with the night of Yehuda, Australia is like next door because they can communicate immediately, even with pictures and everything else. So the Nehemiah's equation, and it's not the only halacha, there are many halachas like this. of God Lavayas, all those halachas. So even though the equation is there, but today Australia is next door because you can have the same communication. That's the same thing I would say with the Yechayadam. And we know what's going on. We're not makhish, and we know the mitzvahs what's going on. So, so what kind of the chayyim is simply saying? And I'm to go all over the, over the, you know, the, it's not called like the mitzvahs now. It's not liotcha. It's not lefanecha. But, but the Ukraine is lefanecha. So you know what I mean? So halacha for tzedakah, the next dollars of tzedakah people should give is to the Ukraine. I feel Ukraine has the Kadim of Tikuach Nefesh right now. Whatever it is, whatever it means, buying food for the people, whatever it is that, that has to do with the next door Tikuach Nefesh. They're next door. Okay, anything else Rashiva wants to be Mises? Uh, no, no, that's what I would think. It's Pshat. Laloch Lamaisa. Agresi Ashikayach. Be well, Piskala Mistress. That's Sliach, Cole. Take care, bye bye. Joining us from Dnieper Petrovsk in Ukraine, 
is Rabbi Meir Stamla. He's the head of the Federation of Jewish Communities of Ukraine. Welcome, Rabbi Stamla. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me. So I understand you're hiding out in a bunker. Could you tell us what's going on in the ground in Ukraine? What's going on over here is something that, um, while I'm going to tell it to you, I still don't believe this is going on. It's, 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 it's crazy. Most of the Ukraine, you know, we have almost 200 shluchim uh, of, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe without, you know, in Ukraine. There are other rabbis also, but the shluchim didn't leave. We're all here with families, with children. And we have this WhatsApp group and we hear every minute what's going on. There's shooting here, there's shooting there. It's, it's, it was a normal, uh, uh, decent country. We never had any problems with anti-Semitism. We walked outside Shabbos with the Talents. We felt comfortable. And over here, suddenly this war, it came so strong and so fast. And it looks like no one cares about human lives anymore. They're bombing houses and civilians. Have you seen damage? Have you seen people killed? Have you seen buildings destroyed, etc.? Yes, of course. We, we saw all of that. And are the, are the Yidin in danger? Yes, the Yidin are in a very, very big danger. The Yidin are everywhere. Now, talk to us about refugees. Are people leaving? Yes, people are on the borders, are packed. We are also trying to help people. And the, 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 the Israeli government is there, the Sochnut is there, many different organizations. There's lines of days of waiting. Days. Like my son is on the way to the border now. I have two children that are on the way. One just evacuated with our yeshiva. We have a yeshiva over here. In Ukraine, yeshiva of, of most of the Bahrim are locals from Ukraine. Some are even from the States or from Europe. And they're evacuating to, to, to Moldova, Romania. Then they go to Germany and they're going to be there in yeshiva. They got a building and, uh, and they're going to learn over there with the Rosh yeshiva, with everyone together. A boy, 15 years old. You know, we heard these stories about the Second World War. We never be believed that we're going to be part of it. So they go wherever they can, as long as you can leave the borders. People are, are frightened. Now, they, these are the ones that can leave. But there are other people, many of them, that have parents or grandparents that are ill, that are old. And I, I spoke to a few people today, okay? And, and they say, I can't leave my parents over here. They won't make it. When we're talking about leaving the country, that means a trip of at least 24 hours minimum. It can take 72 hours. It can take a week and they won't make it. So they're, they're stuck here with their parents. Other people have businesses and they have local staff and they say, you know, we can't just leave them here. Other people have people that invested in their businesses and they feel that they just can't leave. And they have so, homes. Homes, of course, of course. So talk to us, what's the, what's the food situation like? I just got... Okay, so like this. In Ukraine, we have 180 Jewish communities. 180 that, uh, Jewish communities. 180. Out of these 180 communities, there are about, let's say, uh, 15, 17 pretty uh, large communities with rabbis. There are smaller ones, and there are real, real small towns. So there's some towns that we have on our list registered, let's say, 35 Yidin, that they get packages once in a while, that we have Bachri coming for Pesach and for Yom Tif. These places, some of these places are in danger. They don't have food. They're really in a hunger. And we're asking the army to help us to send them food. 
this is what's going on now. The small towns are in a really bad situation because as it is, it's not so comfortable over there. And there's many Russian soldiers and tanks and they don't care about anything. They just shoot anyone. They send kids that don't even know what they're doing. They're not so good in, in, in the war, we see, because they didn't really, you know, they're not, not professionals, but they do harm. It's, it's crazy. And what's the, what are the roads like? Well, that's very dangerous. You see, all the time we get questions. What is, we have our, our security um, in charge of the security. He's, he's a real professional from Israel. He worked many years in that. And we have a meeting twice a day, in the morning and the evening, to decide what are we telling people to leave, to evacuate or not to evacuate. So now what we say is evacuate only by train because there are many stories of people shooting buses, of, of army just shooting a bus. Today, just today, a few hours before, an Israeli person, innocent, was shot because they were going a few cars trying to, you know, to evacuate. Trains is the fierech, you know, safe, but also is not simple. The roads are very, very dangerous. In the city where you are, I mean, the supermarkets have food? Where I am, there's shortages. But thank God we have um, local people that own stores. And I just got today a whole bunch of sugar, coffee, oil, People just donate. Anyone, any year that has something, he says, look, I'm giving you everything I have. Do something good with it. And, you know, and he says, with I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow to do it. Please take it. This is the situation over here. The world has to hear what's going on. I'm, as I'm telling it to you, I don't believe it myself. But this is the situation. Hey, Stambler, it's been, thank you very much. And Kalaka vote for, uh, for standing up, for being the leader, for... Uh... For leading the way. Thank you very much. You know, the, 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 everyone, all the people look and see what's, what means to be a Yid, that Yid from the States and from the whole world care about each other. This is really mechamemet alev. It makes us feel very, very good. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We're all with you. We all say, Achenu Yisrael. We said it today by Davini. Yeah, yeah. Within half an hour, we, we escaped a pact, whatever we could, with ten, taking 10 kids, and, and we escaped from Chernigov under siege. Um, and we, we, drive, we drove to Kiev. We were, had, had an extraction point we were supposed to make it to, but, we, but we, we, was, we got into curfew. We couldn't make it there. We stopped in Kiev, uh, outside of Kiev. With miracles, and you were leaving we made you were leaving Chernigov. Yes, we left Chernigov. And, and there was attacks? Just, there were attacks? What were there? Bombs? Were there tanks? Like, what was going on in Chernigov? <laughs> okay, well, just to give you a little understanding of what's going on in Chernigov, I'll, I'll tell you a story about in a, 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 a woman in the community. Her name is Ella. She's the, 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 the bubby of the community. And she calls us Ella that she's sitting in her house at the ninth floor. Her windows are all shattered from a, from a, from a bomb that fell the next door neighbor into, into a Jewish woman's apartment. 
whose who, their apartment is gone, and she has no no windows. She lost power, and and she she can't she can't be in touch with her family. And we took her into the the, the shul's basement, and now she joined up to the to the to the to the Yidden who are sheltering there. We were sheltering in in our in our basement from our house with another group of Yidden there. So there's been, you know you know bo- uh, bo- missiles and bombs have been falling down. We we have not left. We had in our basement for five days straight without coming out, or just coming out for a quick breather and going back down. Uh, a a a a building which is five minute walk, about 500 meters from our house, was totally destroyed. From our ha- from a window, we can see pillars of smoke. Uh, the hospital was bombed. Uh, it, it's it's this is like World War Two pictures you're talking about. Total neighborhoods that are you know, gone. So you must be very frightened for yourself and your children. Well, we we were not frightened. We we were we were confident. We at as in a shluchim mitzvah, you know, of the Rebbe, that we had protection on top of us. We were not frightened for ourselves. When we while we're in in Chernigov, it was continuous. You know, we bombing, shelling going on. You know, you already start stop paying attention to oh, so, oh, that's not too close. Oh, you know, that's okay. And but on the way when we were driving, when, when and at the same point when we were driving, even all over the world was saying to Hillen, there was not we did not hear one explosion from when we left the house till we made it safely uh, uh, to, to 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 the place we stayed over overnight, and it. And once we made it there, again, the, the shelling continued. How could the Yidin of America help you? The Yidin of America can help. First, the main thing is say extra tefillah, extra pasuk of tzedakah. If you want to donate to the Yidin for in Ukraine, you, you can make a donation on JewsOfUkraine.com. Which is a campaign, a grassroots campaign by the by the communities on the ground, the shluchim on the ground to help support the the Yidin who are stuck inside, feed them, shelter them, who we could do, help evacuate people who can't make it out. What's been your scariest moment? The scariest moment is when after we left and we're worrying the Yidin are there, and what can we do? And 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 and, and, and the feeling of uh, of guilt that we left them, that we left them. We we were planning to stay, and we we had like we had a, a conference, and and Rabbi Kalarsky from New York, and said, "Now's the time to go and do what you could, and and make sure you can come back soon." Well, we're going to believe Nada. I'm going. I'm going. We're going to go online right after this call. We're going to the Jews of Ukraine dot com and sending you money. Thank you. And okay. able to even who can't say thank you, in the uh, who are sitting in in the in, in cold basement for uh, children who have undergone operations recently and have no medical care, thank you. Remendel? Hello. It's yes. We're 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 bringing mattresses to Shul. We have over a hundred people who are sleeping in Shul. We're looking for cars to get people out, and we're looking for medicine and food to give to people. That's what we're working on right now. That's what we're doing. Please, Davin.
Davin, say to him, do a mitzvah for and us. You're in, in our, you're, you're in Kharkov, right? I had to leave Kharkov, unfortunately, this morning because it, uh, there was an explosion that happened right next to my house. Where there were bombs falling from the sky, and unfortunately, we simply had to go. Uh, we simply had like to go and leave. Russian, uh, planes my Russian planes bombing? Russian planes were bombing us this morning. Russian planes were flying over and bombing houses, yes. All right. How in danger are the people there? How in danger are the people there? Uh, very, very in danger. They're very in danger. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous what's happening now. And anybody who hears this or knows of cars in Kharkov, of people, uh, everyone's getting out. Everyone's getting out. And whoever is staying, for some reason, we have some people, uh, we have people in the shul, we have people who are in charge, who are doing everything to continue uh, the pu'ulis. As soon as we it's safe enough to get back, we'll be back. Uh, it's it's terrible. It's a it's a disaster. How dare remember how dangerous are the roads? Uh, we left and there were bombs falling on on every side of the street. It was it was normish. It was not normal. So is the army fighting? Is the army protecting Kharkov? So so the Ukrainian army is protecting Kharkov and uh, the Russians are trying to get in. That's so where is food coming from? How do they fill in? How do you stock supermarkets in a city under siege with bombs falling? So, so food-wise, uh, there's there's certain drivers who are ready to endanger themselves. They take a lot of money, a uh, hundred times what it regularly costs, and uh, and they are ready to give food to the people that we um, to the people. They're ready to give food to the people and and medicine. It's very complicated. We have a lot of people working on this and doing everything to make it work. Joining us is Professor Jeffrey Weidlinger. He's a professor of history and Judaic studies at University of Michigan. He's also chair of the Jewish Council of Jewish Studies. He's also written extensively in pogroms in Ukraine, small stuff of life in Ukraine. Welcome, Professor Weidlinger. Hi, thanks. Nice to be here. So, Professor Weidlinger, what is the history historically? How have the Jews worldwide reacted when there was a case of uh, pogroms or a case of refugees, etc.? Were they involved? Were they disinterested, etc.? Yeah, unfortunately, the world Jewish community has had plenty of experience dealing with atrocities in Ukraine and dealing with responses to Jewish suffering in Ukraine. Uh, the first began in 1881 with the pogroms in what was then called the south of Russia, but is currently the territory of Ukraine. And that immediately led to refugees fleeing into Germany, um, pre predominantly into Germany at the time. And that was among the first Jewish refugee crises uh, in the modern world. And the Jewish community responded in force, but wasn't able to do all that much at that point in time. Um, it wasn't until the next wave of pogroms, which began in 1903 with the Kishinev pogrom, uh, that the world Jewish community really learned how to respond in force. And the Kishinev pogrom created a massive or helped create a massive network of Jewish organizations around the world and particularly in the United States to aid sufferers of Jewish pogroms in the south of Russia, in what is today Ukraine. Uh, the American Jewish Committee was uh, established in part in response to pogroms in Ukraine. Uh, there was a committee for the relief of sufferers, of Jewish sufferers of pogroms in Ukraine uh, that was established here in the United States. Um, the banker Jacob Schiff was, uh, was the lead organizer organizer of those organizations, and they collected money from communities all over the United States and all over 
the world. Um, a lot of organizations uh, within New York in particular, uh, Jewish religious organizations, uh, Lands, uh, Landsmannschaften, uh, you know, committees to uh, aid, uh, aid Jews back at home, uh, congregations, B'nai B'rith lodges, uh, all sent in money to this committee in order to aid their co-religionists, in order to aid other Jews uh, in Russia. And they got donations from, you know, all around the United States. They got donations from Minnesota, from Louisiana, from Texas, from California, from Idaho, from Iowa. Uh, all over the country, people were sending in small donations, sometimes $5. Uh, sometimes they were able to raise $100, $500, and they sent them to New York in order to be distributed uh, to Jewish communities around Russia in response to the pogroms. Do you find as a historian that your Jewish reaction is more unified? Let's say when people are being killed in Rwanda, I don't necessarily see in other parts of the United States where they're sending money. Is that his, would, you, would you agree with that? Would you, is that a, what's your opinion on that? The Jews have had a lot of experience doing it, so they've gotten better at it. Um, Jews have been massacred. Jews have suffered more than a lot of other, a lot of other groups. And there's a large Jewish diaspora that's able to aid them. Uh, I think when there's massacres in Rwanda, there just aren't as many Rwandans scattered around the world who are able to raise money to help other Rwandans. Um, I know another group that really has been successful, and this is the Armenians, um, because there is a large Armenian diaspora and because Armenians have also suffered repeatedly. Um, but yes, Jews have become very good at that because of their history. Now, you, when you talk about the Ukraine, have you, you know, Zeres Tachtat was in the Ukraine for the most part, wasn't it? Chalmanitsky yeah, comes yeah, from the Ukraine. Yeah, and yeah, there must have been a ton of refugees. They say a third of Ukrainian Jews may have been killed by Chalmanitsky. What was the reaction to the world to those, to those refugees? I mean, they went to Poland and they went to Germany, etc. Yeah, so the Chmelnitsky Rebellion was a little bit too early for there to be a unified Jewish response. Um, and news spread... Uh, too slowly for there to be a unified Jewish response at the time. But the major Jewish response to refugees came in the aftermath of the pogroms of 1918 to 1921. And during these pogroms, there were about 1,000 separate pogroms in about 500 cities throughout Ukraine, in which about 100,000 Jews were killed. Wow. And another three to 500,000 fled. Uh, this was in 1921 when they were fleeing mostly. They fled to Poland and to Romania, and from Poland, Romania, they subsequently fled into Germany. And this influx of hundreds of thousands of Jews into Germany, as well as into France, and some going to America, some tried to get to Palestine. Um, but the response of this was actually one of the contributors to the rise of Nazism. Right-wing political parties in Germany used the influx of Jewish migrants as an excuse and as a means of gathering supporters against the Jews. They falsely claimed that the Jews were importing Bolshevism into Germany, even though, of course, these were Jews who were fleeing the Bolsheviks. Um, but nevertheless, they asserted that Jews were importing Bolshevism. They claimed the Jews were exhausting the supplies of, uh, of charity works in Germany. And... Uh, this contributed or this was used as a factor to help the Nazis uh, gain power. And they started advocating against Eastern European Jewish refugees. And you say 100,000 Jews were killed in the pogroms of 1921? Yeah, that's what my most recent book is about in the midst of civilized Europe, uh, the 1918-1921 pogroms and the onset of the Holocaust. And yes, about 100,000 Jews died as a result of those pogroms. It seems that the Ukraine is been one of the most anti-Semitic places in the world for the Jews. Would you agree with that? Um, no, 
I wouldn't really compare anti-Semitic. I would say that there were a lot of Jews living in Ukraine, um, as a result of which a lot were killed. Um, Ukraine, you know, does have a history of anti-Semitism, does have a history of anti-Jewish oppression. Uh, but it, I would be hard-pressed to actually do a comparison like that. Uh, but, yes, yeah, certainly Jews have had a hard time in Ukraine. But there's also a reason that so many Jews were living in Ukraine in the first place. It has also, at times, been a very welcoming place for Jews. I mean, what drives me to say that is because Khomeinitsky came from Ukraine. The, the Holocaust of bullets in the yeah. Ukraine, they say, killed a million and a half Jews. You have the program of 1921, which, honestly, I was not aware of. I mean, these are, some, these are big numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason there's such big numbers is because so many Jews were living there. Uh, it was the so Pale of Settlement. Well, it was the Pale of yeah, Settlement. It was the, heart of, it was the heart of the Pale of Jewish Settlement, and before that it was parts of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. And it was a place where Jews were able to settle, where Jewish life was able to flourish, where Hasidism, you know, originated. Uh, and it was a place where Jewish literature was flourishing, Jewish secular politics, Jewish religious politics. Um, there were a lot of reasons why Jews were living there. Uh, so it's been punctuated by periods of violence, but there has also been periods of tolerance within there. Do you understand why we didn't, we didn't leave it? Like after Khalmanitsky, and they're like, why didn't they just say? They just, yes, it's punctuated, but they hate us so much. And you can't walk into a town there that's not covered with Jewish blood. Why didn't they leave? Like South America, America, Australia, Israel, it's, it's a big world. Yeah, well, for one, it was home. And it was where their lives were. You know, I interviewed a lot of people there in the early 2000s. I did, uh, I traveled through Ukraine interviewing elderly Yiddish speakers about how they survived communism, how they survived the Holocaust. And we would ask exactly that question of people in the modern world, why are you still there? And they would say, we're here because this is our home. This is where our grandparents are buried, where our parents are buried, where our great-grandparents are buried. Um, this has always been our home, will remain so. So that's one answer. And another answer is they tried to flee. Again, hundreds of thousands did flee. In fact, you know, over the long durée, millions fled. But other countries were not welcoming them in either. Uh, the United States, which was going to be one of the biggest recipients of refugees from Russia, uh, in 1923, 1924, started restricting Jewish migration through the National Origins Act. Uh, as you know, the British also restricted migration into Palestine. Uh, in Germany in 1923, they also enacted laws that restricted Jewish migration from Ukraine. Uh, so there weren't all that many places that they could go to. The main place that Jewish refugees were able to flee to, particularly in the 20th century, was actually Russia. Um, and so the largest number of refugees from Ukraine ended up migrating into the Russian interior, to Moscow, to St. Petersburg, and living there, um, where many of them you know, lost their identification as Jews. Yeah, I saw a Chabad Shliach told me, he said, asking a Jewish person today to be religious in Russia is like taking a chicken that's been in the freezer for 100 years, patting it on the back and saying, go fly. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, they're learning. Chabad's doing great work there, and uh, so are a lot of other organizations. Do you think that the Jews will finally flee Ukraine now? Um, you know, there's not all that many Jews left right now. So in a community that once had about three million, three and a half million Jews at the beginning of the 20th century were living in the territory that is now Ukraine. Uh, there are now about 40,000 people who identify as Jewish. And 
probably 200,000 or so who are halakhically Jewish or who would qualify as Jewish by Israel's law of return. So they're dwindling numbers, and those who are there are largely elderly, uh, but never say never. You know, a lot of younger people are coming back, and they're coming back because of the graves of, uh, of the Hasidic Rebbe. They're coming back because they see opportunities uh, for business. They see opportunities for, for you know, reestablishing religious life there. So I would never say never. You never know what's going to happen. And of course, Ukraine right now is a Jewish uh, president. So as, as probably the world's leading expert on Ukrainian Judaism and probably Ukraine, share with us, what are your thoughts about what's going on now? Uh, it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. I feel for all Ukrainians. I feel particularly for uh, Ukrainians of Jewish heritage. Um, but I feel for all Ukrainians. And what's happening there right now is tragic. Um, Ukraine is struggling. It's a struggling democracy. Um, but it's trying. And since 2019, it's been doing pretty well um, in terms of instituting democratic reforms and tolerance and establishing a pluralistic society. And I think that's precisely why Russia is attacking it now. Uh, Putin claims that he's there to demastify Ukraine, uh, and I don't believe that for a minute. He's there to de-democratize Ukraine. He's worried that the democracy that's happening in Ukraine is going to spread to Russia and lead to his own downfall, and that's why he can't tolerate it. How do you see this ending? I don't know. Um, I'm a historian. I study the past, not the future, um, but my prediction is it doesn't end well. Uh, that's, things tend not to end well in that part of the world. Define that well. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of casualties. I think there's going to be a lot of destruction. Um, I think there's going to be unintended consequences of this invasion that we can't even conceive. Um, like I said, the wave of hundreds of thousands of migrants after World War I, and particularly hundreds of thousands of Jewish migrants after World War I, um, was used to bolster right-wing politics in Germany, and it was used to uh, bolster anti-immigration laws in the United States. So the consequences of this are going to be far-reaching and well beyond what we're capable of imagining. Do you, at a time like this, see the importance of the state of Israel as a place to flee? Has it become like sort of underlined? Um, yes. I mean, I think there are many who have already fled Ukraine and are already in safety in Israel because they have fled Ukraine. So, you know, the large uh, Jewish population or the large, Ukra <laughs> large Ukrainian Jewish population in Israel, um, they would be in the, uh, you know, they would be in the in the line of fire right now in Ukraine if it weren't for the Jewish state. Professor Weidinger, thank you very much for your time and your insights. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Joining us from Eretz Yisrael is Rabbi Pinchas Winston. He's written many books on Jewish Hashkafa, many Sfarim. He's a Talmud of Eshatayra. He has a website called 36.org. He deals with Achris Hayamim. Welcome, Rabbi Winston. Uh, thank you very much. Rabbi Winston, what are you, what's the message you take out of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine today? Well, uh, there's, there's different levels of looking at this message, you know, this, what's going on today, but uh, it's obviously very significant. I mean, I mean, the very fact that they mentioned nuclear war also uh, has forced a lot of people in the non-Jewish world to talk about uh, nuclear war, possibly World War III, things like that. We basically deal in Galus and Geula. The Jewish people are either in Galus or Geula. If we're in Galus, we're looking towards the Geula, and hopefully if we're in Geula, we're not 
losing that and working towards Galvis, but it's either one or the other. And we've been in Galvis for a long time. This is the fourth uh, four of uh, four Shibudim, four Galvis mentioned to Yaakov Avinu, of Avinu, also back in Parshish Bereshis. And we know that at some point in time, his, every, every Galvis has to come to an end at some point in time. And it's very late in history. I've spent some considerable time looking at many sources uh, specifically to do with uh, this, this topic and the Zohar, the Russian, and there's very, very strong reason to believe that we are at, at the end of Jewish history. We have to come at some point in time. It's hard to believe because when I used to, we're not talking about it very much. What sources are, are you referring to? Well, the lesson Shabbat Rechlam Mabu, the Yishun Eliyashiv is a big source for me, and there's, a Gemaris, and there's all kinds of Gemaras as well, but uh, the Rebbe Echezel Levenstein, Sources like that that talk about our attitude towards it. Uh, the Lashem specifically brings down the Zohar about uh, kind of a timetable, not for the calculation of Mashiach. That's, that seems to be something no one's able to do, at uh, least I'm aware of. Uh, but more to do with, with uh, the, the framework of, of history, world history, and specifically Jewish history. And based upon what he says, it, it places us, uh, you know, the Gemara itself mentions, for example, that history is supposed to last 6,000 years. Now, even though there has been some controversy regarding about 160 some odd years, that for the most part we hold that we are in fact in 5782. That doesn't leave a lot of history left until 6,000. That number seems to be pretty fixed by the Gemara, by the Ramchal, also another major source, uh, the Gra, and uh, Kabbalah in general. There's a very specific reason I'll, I'll be sure why 6,000 is pretty definite. So, you know, we, we have only a couple hundred, you know, some odd years left until, until 6,000. But, as the lesson explains, part of that time is made up of the Chis Amazing, the resurrection of the dead, which is after the Muslim Mashiach, and then that, that, that follows the Muslim Mashiach, which, according to the Zohar, the lesson brings down, is uh, after 40 years of Kibbutz Galius. So, you, you put it on a timeline. Uh, you know, basically, which is what I did when I started to see this material, it starts to you know, put things into perspective, especially as of 1990. And uh, I, I'm quite impressed, actually, about how many events have occurred since 1990, 1986, 1990, since that time, based upon this timeline, that actually are quite true and accurate at the timeline. So, from my perspective, I've been you know, looking at this for 30-some-odd years now, and kind of you know, seeing things move in this direction, even when it's still quiet. And going back to the, the, the World Trade Center when it was, was brought down by terrorists, you know, we have been moving in the, that, that direction. There's many Mukubalim who said, anyhow, from that point on, with the final stage of the war of God and Magog had begun. And uh, every time something happens in such a major way, and one more principle, David Amalek said that obviously everything is Kashkachapati, but when things happen, it makes you stop and say, wait, where'd that come from? And now why is it going on? How, you know? So that's like an overt Kashkachapati. And when Hashem does that, it usually means that something is happening in a very major way. And, and just you know, the timing is absolutely uncanny because this is the whole message of Purim. This, this is what made Mordechai different than everybody else. That he saw what was going on. He saw the, the weirdness of history. He saw things taking place that, you know, looked disastrous, but he also understood that, of course, Bosch was up to something. And he spent, you know, he, he stopped what he was doing because he realized there was an end of a Tzalus Nefashu. He realized there was an end of, of being a shutaf, a partner with Hashem in the Gula process. And as he says to Esther, 
you know, for all you know, I mean, we know that, that, that after the fact that she was put there for that reason, but in the beginning, you know, it wasn't so clear. But he said, for all you know, this is why I shouldn't put you, because there's a, there's a, there's a gula coming, and you're meant to be part of it. You can either do it, or it's going to happen to nothing. So Winston, there's nothing particular about, you know, Ukraine, Russia. It's just that you're saying, look, we're running out of time. There's like 300 years left, so it's going to happen in these 300 years, so just just look for big events in these 300 years that could sort of act as a precursor. Yeah, but there's nothing there's nothing coincidental either. You know, you know, according to according to the captain, that's what I saw it. That he, he said that you know Magog basically settled around the area of Moscow. You know, the Mongols were there. You know, it's hard to know exactly what's what. But I I, I saw the Medrash, uh, you know, the Medrash Rebbe Parshat Yehi a couple of weeks ago when Yaakov Avinu wanted Magala Katsi Amun to his son. So the Medrash says what he specifically wants to reveal. The war of Gog and Magog, what it was going to be, how to recognize it, and that was hidden from him. But but the Medjus goes on to explain that when it finally happens, it's only going to be because of Chris Bokhu puts a rule stoose into Gog and Magog. That's, you know, meaning what? That, you know, it's not going to seem logical to us because it, it's, it's happening on a level of a structure that we don't understand completely. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's all, it's very methodical. Because Bohu chooses everybody, it developed over time. Hanan was developed so, from a long Rabbi, Rabbi Winston, is there anything happening now? Are you saying, let's just look for a big shtus from somebody and that is sort of precursor? Like, is there anything about Russia and Ukraine that talks to you? Well, I mean, listen, Russia. <laughs> Is basically you know, Edom. Edom has three parts to him, and and you know you look at the measures. Right? Is, is Edom the, 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 the brute force? You know, he takes what he wants, whatever he wants it. There is Edom who pretends to be to be from. How do you how do you take Meiser and Kash? You know, Melech. You know, right? And there's Edom that the, the, the lawyer, the businessman. They split up. Right? Russia is, is, is clearly the, the color of Russia's red, basically, and even coincidentally, which we don't believe in, but even the, the word Russia itself, you know, translates as evil in Hebrew, you know, you know Adam. And the, Adam is a major factor at the end of days. He's the one... Wasn't Adam always considered to be Germany and Italy? As the Chazal say, Germania shall Adam? Yeah, but that's Amalek. Adam has many, many descendants. Right, basically, he, he, he's a major part of the world. You know, Europe is Adam, and America is Adam. We all basically descend from Adam. But there's different aspects of Adam. So Europe, with Roman Catholicism, that was kind of like the religious aspect. Okay. And America, so, so I just want to hear, so the thought is, since Russia is red, that is their color, right, and he's acting irrationally, right, right and he has a military arsenal, you see that as goigumagoig, and that's how we should be concerned. Yeah, the, the, the main thing is like this. This is the main thing. That that it's like it's like walking into a room with full of diamond, you know, with with gunpowder. It just takes one match. At Kodesh Baruch you look at World War Two, how that began, how that started. There's a lot of similarities, by the way, what's going on right now with Ukraine and Russia. Who cares? When, when Germany invaded Austria, you know, when Germany you know took the Rhineland and all that, you know, who really cares? You know, everyone he knew that was going to be the case, but that was the beginning. It led to all of Europe. It led to war with Britain. Eventually, led to war with America and the whole thing. You know, so Chris Baruch—he's incredible. There's a concept called Lewis in Kabbalah, where Chris Baruch is a pretext to do things, but we, we don't know the market turns to lack of sold it for the most part. But you have to always pay attention to those small things that seem like they're, they're meaningless to us, because it's like that little magic drops in the forest amongst some dry leaves that seems completely harmless, and over hours becomes a major forest fire. Hashem 
has his ways of doing things. So when something comes up like this, out of the blue, kind of out of the blue, and, and, and seems to be, has the potential to be so big, then you have to start wondering, is this where Kodesh Boku is beginning to come There are details and reasons why specifically here in Ukraine and all that, right? It could be mostly because the Jews out of there. You know, like, a lot of Jews have since processed Aliyah applica applications since the whole thing has begun. You know, this is like uh, other other war. You know, Europe, Europe, European Jewry left what was left a bit because of the, uh, World War II. He has, of course, both who does things like that. He he works in ways that don't seem so obvious to us at first, but they're on their way to doing things that basically fulfill the mandate. Well, Winston, you get concerned that throughout Jewish history there have been calls for Mashiach many times, and often with very dire consequences. You know, the Frankists the uh, Shapsi Tzvi, etc. You worry that when we keep beating a drum and saying, well, Shia is coming for this is happening. Shia is coming for that's happening. And then he doesn't come. And then people stop believing in Mashiach because of that. Do you worry about that? Well, yes, definitely. But if you read, uh, you know, in, uh, I'm going to say Google, but the Yechazer Levenstein, he actually criticizes, you know, the from you know, world for that, that, that lack of involvement. Our job is to always hope and, and wish and, and look for it and anticipate it. And it doesn't come, it doesn't come. But there's one major factor that's different here this time that I always point out to people out that day question. We're back in Israel. Other times in the past, we're still stuck in Galilee. We didn't have the land back. It was in the middle of the Galilee. There was a potential. There really wasn't a potential there. Right? You know, and actually, Shana can happen any time. doesn't mean that they weren't right in their predictions that it could be. But we weren't Zerifah. But here, already, we've gone through all the clouds. We've been spread to the four corners of the earth like the Torah predicted would happen. Hebrew's galleys have been in full swing since the garage started you know, moving back in you know, the hundreds and we're getting a committee, right? We have gone through all the suffering that we've meant to go through based upon what the Torah says. So in a sense, the whole script has been played out. That's a huge difference. On top of the fact that we have a certain cheshbon based upon the chis and lace and the Russian big dam, which I rely very heavily on. So I'm saying, and this is the point that has to be made, that given all the factors, given all the, uh, you know, where we're holding historically, we're different in as much as we're so much closer to the end. Just Manila, Manila. So when this has to happen at this time, you know, then you have to start wondering, is this it? You have to, because if you're not going to, listen, every time an Agalus has come to an end, it's been bad for the Jewish people. And one of the reasons why is because we thought it might blow over. We didn't realize it was happening. We didn't realize what could happen in the end. My main thing has been to be prepared. It's not physically, but psychologically, mentally, but we've gotten for Gula several times a day. It has to be real to us. That's one of the redeeming factors, you know. David Baruch spoke about this. The Rachamim, the Kosh Baruch who gives to us for the Gula, comes from the very fact that we anticipate it and we look forward to it. Yeah, it's hard. And there's always a potential disappointment. But never, we're, not, we're not talking about making predictions for his arrival. That we're not doing. We're just saying that you have to understand that, you know, this could lead to something that we've been looking forward to for thousands of years now. And to look the other way, has never worked in our favor. Well, Rabbi Winston, thank you very much for speaking about Mashiach and the importance of the constant demona b'cholyei machakilei shalavai and tzachak ve'amatz in your mission. Thank you for the opportunity to serve service.